So the question is this, how do entrepreneurs like us who don't have an endless supply of cash, how do we leverage the best apps, virtual assistants, automation tools and systems to scale our businesses, increase our profits and have more time to do what we love to do each day? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answer. My name is Dr. Steve Day and this is Systemize Your Success. Hello, everyone. So today I'm joined by Josh Keegan, who is an absolute wealth of knowledge on all things small business finance. And we're going to talk about how to extract profit from your business without having to endlessly grow it. We're going to be talking about how to fast track your finance, which is actually the course that he has created or the system that he has created which is how to outsource all of your business financials. Josh is the owner of several uh, scaled businesses. He's an award-winning property entrepreneur, and he's also a chartered accountant. So without further ado, let's get started. Hey, Josh, absolute pleasure to have you here today. Really excited about this. I think I'm going to learn a, a lot from talking to you and hope we take away some nuggets and share, obviously, with the audience as well at the same time. Likewise, I can imagine I'm going to learn a lot from you as well, Steve. I'm looking forward to this actually, because I think you've got the uh, a tremendous level of outsourcing and, and systemization background, which I've followed for, for years and years now. And I'm excited to try and add my spin on it from the accountancy side. So hopefully it's going to be some, uh, yeah, good synergy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, likewise. All right, cool. So before we get started, I always like to go at a bit of the background. So how you got to being uh, the person you are today and you're now on a podcast talking about outsourcing financials and about helping small businesses. But how did you get here? Give us a little bit of your sort of three minute backstory into what life was like before you started your first business, how you got from where you started to being systemized, outsourced, scaled, and now to do what you do now. What a question. So I think there's maybe, I'll boil this down to maybe four or five uh, live, like kind of life events, if you like, that kind of changed, changed the course. So I went to um, university, I went to the University of Manchester, and I spent time looking for a part-time job. And I didn't manage to find a part-time job. Well, actually, no, I did. That's a lie. I did find a part-time job, but it was at a bar. Uh, in town and it was basically starting at 10 o'clock in the evening to about five six o'clock in the morning and it was exhausting tiger tiger for any of those of you who have been i don't know if it's still open and i remember thinking i need to find something else I wanted to find some more work experience and i met a gentleman who owned a property company he had a property company and he was looking to some for some support in his uh, accounting so basically wanted to set up a system to to basically um look after his accounts and back then there wasn't things like zero or quickbooks or anything the software you needed to, to kind of create this. I'm sure they were, they were being created as we were going, but we weren't aware of them. So I started working for him free of charge for a number of years. And we basically set this system up in his property business um, to basically just man- monitor and track his accounts. And then we actually fell out of touch. So we fell out of touch because we both went uh, traveled. I, I went and lived in Singapore for a year. He went and traveled uh, elsewhere. So that's step one. I think life event two was I got a job as an accountant. So I enjoyed all of that. And after my university degree finished, I got a job as an accountant and I started at British Aerospace. So a huge um, defense uh, contracting company. Most of us have heard them, BAE Systems. And I became, I was on the uh, financial leadership development program doing accounts. And I really enjoyed it. I networked in Glasgow and Preston and moved around a little bit. And I think I realized I had a bit of a unique skill and it certainly wasn't accounting. It certainly wasn't accounting. You have people that are much better at that than me there. What I was good at though, was explaining accounts to people that didn't understand accounts. So I was good at explaining 
budgets, explain forecasts to the people in other departments, so the people in the property ma- in the in the project management department or the uh, or the on site building the ships or doing whatever. I was good at explaining that. People just wouldn't get it. I'd come in and explain it, and they just get it. So I was good at ex- breaking turning accounts into very simple simple language because that's what it's all about. It's, it's all about decision making. It's not about these fancy terms that accountants use. It was it was it was actually helping people understand so they can make decisions. So that's why life event two. Uh, life event three was when I decided that I wanted to do something a bit more entrepreneurial. I chartered as an accountant in two, two, two and a half years. And I got back in touch with the guy who basically I worked with on the spreadsheets back at uni and said, I'm interested in going into property. I want to buy some houses. Uh, and he said, oh, that's interesting. So I'm looking at scaling a business. Um, so decided to quit my job, went back to work with him again. And we always got on well. And then we decided to create and scale a business together. And that business became Zest Property Management. It's very well known. It's very, very uh, large HMO specialist letting agency in, in the Northwest. Um, and that was great. A lot of fun, uh, a lot of excitement, growing something that was very, very brand new. So I said that was life event uh, three. Life event four um, was pretty fundamental in changing the path of, 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 of getting me here to where I am now. We got to a point where we were growing and we actually doubled in size. So we had a year where we doubled in size. If you go back and you're seeing some of the property events, such as we were published in magazines, we doubled in size. And on the outside, it looked like we were absolutely smashing it. So externally, social media, it looked like we're nameless. We literally doubled the size of our business. We were one of the only HMO specialist agencies uh, in the area. We were offering an amazing service. We filled all these rooms. It looked like we're smashing it. And I remember... I've told the story before. I remember I was on my way to like a retreat that we'd sorted out for all the team for getting hitting this huge target. And my accountants uh, sent me an email to say, we're actually making a loss. So we doubled in size, but we're actually making a loss. So we, we doubled our income, but we actually had no money. For the next three to six months, we actually had to put money into our business, not take money out, money into our business. And I'm a chartered accountant and I couldn't get my head around this. I just couldn't understand how this could have possibly happened. Like it was just totally against everything that we, that we anticipated. And I got to a point where I'd spent three and a half years busting my gut working on this business. And I was just tired of being the last one to get paid. So that was life event four. And I'd say life event five was then solving this problem, working out, spending 18 months, two years, working out how you create real-time financials, how you make sure your business is profit-making, how you make sure it's always you're the first one to get paid as opposed to the last, how you have a, how you have a highly, afford, highly professional yet affordable finance team, uh, how you create a, a structure which allows you to increase profit every single month. And I spent you know, 18 months, two years creating that. I spent a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of energy into it and a lot of expertise a lot of my kind of financial expertise as well as the entrepreneurship I learned. And that allowed me to create the products I offer to people today, which is basically doing that exact same thing for them. Cool. Thank you very much. All right. So I'm going to move directly on from that, which is something that I've seen you quote countless times on social media, which is about being able to take profit from a business. And you talk about being able to extract profit from a business without having to sort of grow it exponentially. And now I actually understand the backstory about how all this happened. But I think for a lot of business owners and myself included, the idea of taking money out of your business in the early years almost seems totally counterintuitive that surely that the best thing to do is to double down, reinvest, you know, put the money back in, 
grow the business to a certain point? Like, is there, I guess a couple of questions in here, but is this a reality from day one or is there a certain point in which you say, okay, now the business is turning over X that now we start thinking about this stuff? Or is this just a, a culture you have to really sort of get your a mindset to get yourself in from day one? It's a really good question. And, and there's a lot of different questions there and it's, it's a great topic to explore. So I think one of the first, well, what you shouldn't be doing is using growth as a solution to solve your problems. And I see this so much. Oh, we're not making any money. Let's grow. Oh, we're not sure how much money we're making. Let's grow. Oh, we don't seem to have much for cash in the bank. Let's grow. And too many entrepreneurs, all they ever actually do is focus on growth. And unfortunately, like I did, I wasn't growing a profitable business. So I was growing, but I was actually making less money as a result of that growth. So one of the things to consider is just is make sure growth is very well considered. There's nothing wrong with considered growth, but growth is a means to an end. So what do I mean by growth is a means to an end? Growth means you're going to get your business to a point where it's generating a certain level of profit. You might be playing a different game. If you're the likes of Spotify, you know, you're not really trying to make a profit. You're just trying to get the biggest valuation possible. If you're the likes of Uber, you're doing the same thing. You're going for a land grab. You're trying to become this, this huge, huge company and you reinvest everything. So you have very minimal profit, but you're, but you're growing your top line. Maybe you're one of those companies, but if you are, you're kind of in unicorn territory and, and very, very few people are ever trying to do that. What most entrepreneurs, what most small business owners want is they want to be able to draw a predictable profit every single month. So growth is fine, but it's a means to an end to generate profit. And too many entrepreneurs, they focus on the top line because it's easier to control. It's easy to understand. It's easy for them to tangibly go out and say, right, I made 10 grand worth of sales today. That's an extra, extra 10 grand to my top line. But very few entrepreneurs understand how to turn that top line, how you turn every pound effectively into bottom line profit. And that's what I believe you should be doing first. So growth is a means to an end to bottom line profit. When you build out a business model, you, like so too often, and you may, you may have done this yourself, Steve, I've certainly done it. You go, oh, right, for my next program, I need 50 clients and they should all be paying a thousand pounds each. That's 50,000 pounds a year. That's great. Don't start there. Start with the bottom. So first, the first question you need to ask, and it's, and it's a difficult question to answer if you've got, if you let your ego get in the way, but if you are going to build this business with the end in mind, you're building it to generate a certain level of profit, which is, which is going to allow you to draw a certain level of income. So that's all we're trying to do. To how much do I want to draw from this business on a monthly basis? If you need three grand to live your dream lifestyle, don't build a business that's going to generate you 10 because that's going to be a lot of noise, going to be a lot of headache. It's going to be a lot of, a lot of challenges, a lot of problems. It's probably not going to work quite as well. It's probably going to be too big to be small, too small to be big. If you want three grand's worth of income, build a business that's going to generate you the smallest possible business you can, which is going to generate you the highest possible profit, which is going to equate to that £3,000. So that's what I'm encouraging people to do. Don't think about the top line number. Think about the bottom line number. And the, the top line number comes as a result of that bottom line number. Brilliant. Brilliant advice. I mean, from personal experience, I've been very guilty of chasing that top line figure. So what is our turnover now? And, and we were in a situation, uh, just to reflect back, 18 or so months ago when I got hold of the financials for the for the company and I had a got deep look into them and found out that actually, even though our revenue had gone up considerably in the first two years and we we're turning over a really decent amount of money, we we're actually running at quite a significant loss. 
And it was one of those total, just like exactly the same sort of situation you had. You know, you think everything's going rosy. I wasn't really paying enough attention because I had someone else I thought was looking after stuff and then get my hand on the figures. And this, it's just like soul destroying for all this, yeah. all this effort in and there's nothing left to take out. Yeah. And so I wish I had this advice, you know, going back three or four years ago and actually really thought about it. So keeping cost to a minimum, not keep on hiring people, not keep on expanding, getting the next bit of software, next shiny penny, and actually looking at, okay, what is the absolute need? Can I afford this next thing and still take the profit out? And I think that's, that's the message I got from this is protect your profit, not, you know, protect that bottom line. Don't actually worry about the top line. Yeah. The, the it's not only, um, soul destroying, it's exhausting. Yeah. Like growth is hard. Growth is what causes all the cracks. Growth is the thing. Growth, if you want service, you can very rarely do that. In my opinion, my experience and, and the entrepreneurs I work with in, in their experience too, it's very rare that you can have a high quality service where you're not getting complaints once or twice a week and a growth company. They, they very, very rarely match. And normally, like, what do we actually want? Like for me, very clear I want a business which I'm which I'm which I'm pleased with, which I'm proud of, that provides everything I want on a monthly basis, and that our customers enjoy. And I'm not fighting with people. I'm not having problems landing my doorstep from complaining customers. And generally, if you do, if you if you want that, choosing your profit first is the right way to go, and then growing around that to kind of achieve that level is is definitely the right way way to be. Out of interest, Steve, yeah. If you're going to think about what happened to you, why would why did that happen? Why, 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 why did it take you two years to realize that there were mistakes that you, you weren't making any profit, but you'd grown? Yeah. Um, I mean, I was CEO of the company, so I've got to take responsibility for it. Ultimately, you know, it, the, the, the book lands on my, with me, but, um, I think, and this will move us very nicely onto what I want to talk about next was not really having a decent team looking at the financials. So we're not having clarity on which sort of pockets or which, which um, uh, what's the word, like which pools the money was meant to be going into. So just because we were creating revenue at the top end is like if there was no tax, uh, no VAT provision, for example, there was no, actually we had different debtors that we needed to fulfill, that we were having uh, collaborations, which um, the, that the money needed to be uh, allocated appropriately. And so because that wasn't being done and that wasn't actually coming through to our cash flow, it would look like everything was rosy, but actually there was this sort of like underlying unpaid sort of money. It was there, but it wasn't accounted for, so to speak. And so when we actually looked at it and sort of went through it properly and allocated all the money out, it's like, wow, there's actually nothing left in the core business because we've been growing, we've been doing partnerships. We've been, like I say, and the, the, there was no actual provision for VAT, which is obviously a huge, huge miss. Um, uh, the VAT black hole. I, yeah, I exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so all these yeah, sort of things just horrible. came to light. And I was just like, yeah. wow. And again, I've got to, you know, got to hold my hand, hands up as CEO. It's, it, it's ultimately my responsibility. But you sort of, um, yeah, left in a situation where, which we needed to fix. And I think that that's why I'm really interested in speaking to you because you talk a lot about outsourcing your financials and, you know, in part, there's this fear that that sort of thing can happen, that, you know, you outsource your financials, you lose sight of them. And before now, if I go back and you know, I've been in business for over 20 years and I used to do all my own accounts, all my own bookkeeping. And I know that is not the right way, you know, wasting uh, two or three days of my life every single year, plus, you know, the, the ongoing uh, bookkeeping on a monthly basis 
is not a good way for a business owner to spend their time. You know, there's yeah. far, far better ways for a business owner to, to make money than sit behind a spreadsheet. But there is this fear that when you do outsource it, that you lose some possible visibility and control. So if we go on to sort of this next topic, which is, okay, so how do you outsource? Who do you need in your team? Is this, you know, virtual assistants? Is this accountants? Now, where is the middle ground? And what does that team, financial team look like to you for a small business? Yeah, of course. So one of the things I'd say, so before anybody starts to think about outsourcing your accounts, you need to kind of get aligned on certain principles. So principles are like the set of the sale. They're like, the direction that we we all agree is the right way to go. And there are a few principles you need to, to consider and you need to buy into before you try to do this. If you don't buy into these principles, if you don't buy into these um, kind of key philosophies in doing this, you will struggle with this. It's like when you see, if you, I, 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 can't, I can't name any of your principles off the top of my head, but one of your principles will, will be, for example, that, you should not be doing administrative work in your business. Anything that's a repeated task, you should you can delegate or outsource. Everything can be de- everything can be outsourced. It's those kind of principles, those key principles. Um, one of those key principles I'd say is you need to view your finance function as an investment, not a cost. So finance is not a cost. It is not something that you look at your PL every month and go, oh damn it, I should I need to cut costs there. I need to not spend money on that. The only reason you're in business is to make a level of, of income or wealth in some way, shape or form. If you're in that honeymoon phase at the moment, which is like, no, it's about purpose or a vision. That's fantastic. But economically, you're only going to be around if you make a level of profit. So it's all a number. It's just a numbers game. And the most important part, which is often the, the, the last thing entrepreneurs think about is how they're going to get clarity on their numbers. So finance is an investment, uh, not a cost. Secondly, the second principle is you need professionals to do this for you. So a virtual assistant can do some of this for you, but they're not a finance professional. And if you delegate this to a virtual assistant, you're probably going to spend more time clearing up a mess than you will getting actual financial clarity. So that's, a, that's, the, that's a, uh, the second element. Third element is every decision should be financially backed. So rather than think about decisions on a whim or a gut, or should I, should I charge this or what should I charge? Or can I negotiate this price with a customer? Or how do I spend my time? It shouldn't be based on your emotional uh, or subjective view. It should be based on hard information. And this is where all the finances come into play. If you start thinking like this, you're going to want uh, professionals driving this function for you. And you're going to see this as one of the best investments you can possibly make as opposed to a cost. If you can't, measure something, you can't improve it. So if you don't know what your profit is, you've got not a chance in hell of actually increasing that number. So those are some of the principles to consider. Uh, And we'll dive into outsourcing. So in terms of outsourcing, what most entrepreneurs do is they try to outsource their bookkeeping or account. They either try and do it themselves first and they do it quite badly. And normally what happens is they just, they they become a victim of the, they just, they just, get defeatist. Eventually, after so many months of trying to reconcile all these transactions, they keep going up and up and up and not quite knowing what to do, not sure how to do a, a, uh, a profit completion statement, not being able to automate and systemize this, they get tired. And what they try to do is they look for the cheapest possible solution they can find. And they think a virtual assistant is a great one. They kind of knew what they were doing before. So now I can use a virtual assistant. Virtual assistants, they may have a level of bookkeeping knowledge or experience, 
And for very small businesses, this could work okay. But for anyone with any kind of trading business or any kind of scale, or if you want real clarity and more information as opposed to data, they're only going to get you some way. So basically four professionals that any business needs. So four finance professionals that any business needs. And this is not expensive. I'm going to tell you why this is not expensive in a second. But your four professionals, number one is your finance assistant. So this is somebody that's operational. They're the ones that speak to your customers. They're the ones that log into your bank and make your payments. So this could be your VA. This could be a virtual assistant. This could be somebody that's actually part of your team. Yeah, I, I use a, my PA in the UK to perfect function in my business. Yeah, Great example. You might have a family member. Somebody who's a family member to make payments. Um, so that's your first one is your finance assistant. Second is your bookkeeper. Bookkeeper is very different from a, a finance assistant. A finance assistant could just be an administrator. They have no knowledge or experience of accounts, but they can learn the basics. A bookkeeper has understanding of accounts and they're going to do what we call like integrity checks. So like they're not going to, they're going to, you, you, your PA may pay an invoice for a thousand pounds and on the invoice, it may say one thousand pounds and one P. The bookkeeper is the person that's going to flag that a payment's been done wrong. The bookkeeper is going to make sure that your deposit account and your property company equals what's, what's stored in the DPS. They're going to make sure if you've got a client account, that your client account matches what you've got in your bank account or what you should have in your client account. They're going to make sure your P&L and your balance sheet are accurate. They're the ones which when you buy a property and you get a completion statement, they're going to make sure the numbers are in the right place and everything's accounted for properly. That's what your bookkeeper's going to do. That's all about integrity. The next person, third person is your finance manager. Now, this is the, the person that a lot of people don't ever have. Um, and this is basically a qualified accountant, chartered accountant that's going to oversee your bookkeeper. And they are high level. They're the main person you're going to speak to. And for most businesses, it's only a couple of hours a month, and they are going to basically do your finance reviews with you. So they're going to give you your three finance statements that you need every single month, which is your uh, P&L, your balance sheet, and your cash flow forecast. They're going to be the ones that report performance. And they're going to be helping turn what is kind of data into information and help you make decisions within your business. And the fourth is your tax accountant. So your tax accountant, if you have all this set up in place, your tax accountant does not need to be expensive. Like people, I still hear people spend thousands of thousands of pounds of tax accountants per year. You don't need that. If you've got financial clarity and solid information, your tax accountant, 500, 600 pounds a year max to do your submission. You may want to pay for the odd additional tax advice session every now and again. But generally, once you set your company up, you don't really need much of that. So your four finance professionals, finance assistant, internal operational, bookkeeper and finance manager, they're external, really important, they're external, and they are much more back office accounts. And then your uh, tax accountant is your fourth finance professional. And those are the four people, any business, small or big, needs to run their accounting function uh, successfully. So can the, brilliant, cheers, um, Josh. So can the accountant, the tax accountant, and the finance manager be the same person, or is that ill-advised? So what happens, one of the quotes you would have seen in my Facebook is, is you, wouldn't pay, you wouldn't pay Picasso to clean your house. So you wouldn't pay Picasso to clean, clean your house. And if your tax accountant is doing your finance manager role, you'll be massively overpaying for it. Massively, massively overpaying for it. And likewise, if your bookkeeper is doing your, your finance assistant role, you'll be massively overpaying for it. So what, what you find is if you don't use these four roles effectively, um, and you don't uh, you you don't have separate individuals in the right place. You're often overpaying, 
so the model we use is basically your finance system will probably be getting paid if they're like your PA, for example, UK based PA, probably 10, 15 pounds an hour. I'm not sure. So your finance systems probably get paid 10, 15 pounds an hour to do, to do that role. Uh, you could get virtual assistants to do a lot of that role for three, three pounds an hour. If you're good at systemizing and get stuff out of them, your bookkeeper, uh, once again, they should they should they should have their AAT qualification as minimal. Uh, you should be paying fifteen to twenty pounds an hour. I use a South African bookkeeper, um, book, bookkeeping firm, to do yeah, mine. On, on that note, I've just spoken to two people in the past week who one of them was paying sixty seven pounds and the other one was paying fifty odd pounds. I can't remember exactly for that's crazy. So yeah, for, for a bookkeeper, UK. that's crazy. Crazy. For your finance manager, and this is the real important distinction: anywhere from fifty to eighty pounds would be absolutely reasonable. But what we're saying is the bookkeeper that so you so your bookkeeper is going to be spending ten to fifteen hours uh, a month on your accounts at the lower rate, so a couple of hundred quid, uh, maybe two, three hundred, four hundred quid, depending on revenue and depending on the amount of transactions. Your finance manager overseeing that person, so you may be paying fifty to eighty pounds an hour, but it's one to two hours a month. So you can see how when we start to chunk those roles down, you're getting all the expertise and you're not overpaying. I see people like you said, where they're paying 67 quid or whatever for a finance manager, they're a qualified accountant to do very low level, level admin. So they're doing admin that a virtual assistant can do rather than just getting them in their role, which is which is basically reporting and turning data to information that you can use as an entrepreneur. Um, so your question about the tax accountant, once again, they're not really qualified. They've got, they should have a chartered tax certification. They're not qualified to do what you need um, the finance manager to do, which will normally be ACCA or CGMA. I'm CGMA. So that's the, that's the, that's the qualification that you need in that role. So each of these people has different qualifications, finance man, finance assistant, no qualification, bookkeeper, AC, uh, sorry, AAT or, or, or maybe part qualified, Finance manager should be CGMA, ACCA. There's a few over in there, but that, that kind of level. And your tax accountant should be a specialist in tax. You, you wouldn't pay a tax specialist to do your, your reporting with you. Um, it would just be inefficient. And you'd probably be overpaying to, do, to get somebody else to be more qualified to do that role. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it's so logical when you say it because it's exactly the same as we sort of try to educate people about outsourcing is that, you know, you can get someone at three pounds an hour if they're at that sort of level, but if they're doing it, if they're going to be stepping up and managing a team, then they should be paying them more because they're now exactly. a more qualified person. And if you're then getting a graphic designer and you can expect to pay a bit more because they've done years of training and, and hard work to do it. And it's exactly the same sort of philosophy. Exactly. You wouldn't get a graphic designer to do your, your general admin because you're going to be paying more for it. And I mean, they probably wouldn't do it anyway, but the no, fact exactly. is, you wouldn't, and you, and you wouldn't get your senior manager to go and, you know, do a post on Facebook. What's the point? You can pay someone half as much money. So, it just makes it's so logical when you actually say it like that. And I understand that different levels because that's not something I've heard before. You know, I've got a bookkeeper and I guess I have a financial assistant because my, my um, PA who's based in the UK, she actually does my transactions through my bank account because I've got um, HSBC business. So she's okay. a user. So therefore she can do a lot of this stuff, but I can limit, you know, what she can and can't do. And I can authorize stuff. And then I'm, and I do have a, as I said, I've got a bookkeeper and I've got an accountant but I definitely don't have that that distinction between my tax accountant and the financial manager. That's something that I'm yeah, so, was totally aware of. So really helpful. The finance manager is the, often the missing link that people don't have. So they're either paying, they're, they're paying a bookkeeper 15, 20 pound an hour to do that role. And that bookkeeper's underqualified or they're paying somebody that's well overqualified to do that role and we'll give the attention. It is game changing. Like the finance manager. So I have, he, he's worrying about my cash situation more than I am. Like he knows when there's going to be reds in a few months' time. And that he's panicked about that. I, I sleep soundly at night knowing that he's more worried than I am. He knows how um 
how we're going to increase our profit over the next month. He knows, he predicted, he can predict, and he did last year, he predicted exactly, this is through COVID, exactly what um, uh, my management company was going to make within 5% of what it did. Uh, he knows what my drawings are going to be from all the different companies over the next 12 months. That yeah. is, that is, it's honestly game, that is the game changing role. And it's so inexpensive. I think I use them for two, three hours a month. So it may cost, I think I pay about six pound an hour. So what, 150, 220 quid. And I'm like, I've got five or six businesses, quite high level of revenue. So it's, it's just the value, your bang for your buck that you get is just, it's absolutely invaluable. Yeah, yeah. No, it sounds it. Uh, with all these things, is there a point in a business's life? Like uh, realistically, you know, I remember when I started out going back into property back in 2016, sorry. And, uh, you know, they were saying, you're hire the most, you know, the best people you can hire for your team and all the rest of it. And I, I'm not against that philosophy, but at the time the company was making zero. And so I was like speaking to accountants that recommended and they were like, you know, exactly what they were. I wasn't using the philosophy that you just described, but they were still, they were charging or quoting me like 10 grand for my accounts. I was like, well, what's the point in paying 10 grand when I've got zero yeah. income, let alone profit. And I think that, you know, this is something you, again, you, you talk about on social media, you know, you've got to, be realistic. If you if you're not making any profit, then there's no tax to worry about. So you know where is the right point in a business to start engaging these different people? I mean, it's another great question. So one of the things I would say to people about tax accountants, tax accountants, I have a bit of, like tax accountants do frustrate me a little bit because I feel like you, everyone's scared about the, the the potential tax that they may have to pay if they don't have this tax accountant. It's drummed into us that, oh no, you know, pay for the right tax advice. You know, you don't really get stung for tax. But as you said, if you've got a business that's making no profit, then you probably don't need tax advice. So from a tax accountant perspective, what I would suggest is pay for, find a tax accountant that will, that will do a one-off session for you for an hour, two hours, pay you pay your 300 pound an hour, whatever that could be. It could be quite expensive, but pay it to get setup advice. How do I set this company up in a way that's going to be tax efficient moving forward? That's your question you're going to ask. Then I would suggest from the early days, you like the, the best time to hire a virtual assistant was yesterday um, for every business. Like it, it's without being crude, it's, it's three to that. seven. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's three to seven pounds an hour. Your, your time is, is more, even if, they were, even if they were just booking up restaurant restaurant uh, reservations for you, your time is worth a lot more than that. And it's going to be a lot more worth that. You need to start living in that mindset. So you've got your finance assistant in place to, to pay suppliers, delegating your payments. You shouldn't be in your bank. You shouldn't be delegating payments. It's noisy work. It's required at certain times. So you need to get all that out. Your bookkeeper, once again, the model I use, it, and it's all pay per hour. So if you're a loss making business or you don't have much, you can say for them, I want two hours of bookkeeping a month. It's going to cost you 40 pounds. Um, hopefully, if you're setting up a business, you're going to have more than that uh, to in turnover relatively quickly. Um, the finance manager at that level, you probably need them for half an hour, an hour a month. So the, the, the point of this and the point of, for example, Steve, with virtual assistants as well, it's the same concept. These people can scale or descale as and when the business requires them. And then once you're six months to 12 months in, you've got a good level of revenue. It's normally your tax accountant that requires like a monthly retainer payment. Introduce them for your first set of tax accounts at the end of the year. And you, then you're all set up and you're good to go. That's what I would suggest. And that's how, how, I would, how I would do it. Most entrepreneurs, what happens, and, and to be honest, I don't want to stop doing this because this is where I, I, I'm the one that gets the call. Most entrepreneurs, they spend years and years without any support. They do it all themselves. They create an absolute horrific mess. And then we spend the next kind of 12 weeks sorting it out. 
and it's much more expensive than if they just done it early at the start. Don't make it the last one in your head, make it the first. Yeah, no, great advice. And again, if I could roll back 20 years and have this conversation, I think I would have been in a, in a, in a much calmer place for many of those me, years. Me too, by the way. And I'm a, yeah, test, yeah. I'm a chartered accountant, so I'm, I'm, I didn't do this. And uh, now it's what I specialize in doing because it's just something that people just don't do. Well, I think, you know, it, that's why I started this business. Probably one of the reasons you started it from listening to your history before was you fixed the problems that you encounter that you yeah. were guilty of. And when you realize... Look, I've solved this problem, put the you know hundreds or thousands of hours of work into solving this. That's a value to other people because if I yeah. made the same, if I made the mistakes, other people are going to make the same one. So let's help them out. And so, yeah, massive. Absolutely. Right, Josh, this has been absolutely wonderful. I do have some signature questions I always like to ask my guests and then we'll wrap up if that's okay with you. Fine by me. Cool. So can you give us three or four apps or browser plugins or cool bits of software that are your favorites? For to, to continue on the tune of outsourcing accounts, zero has to be uh, up there uh, for any of you using uh, any kind of any hoping to outsource your accounts to all get financial clarity. The second, once again, see big advocate of yours, I believe, as well, is Asana. Like I live, live and breathe uh, Asana for delegation and team management. The third, I would say something like Canva. So Canva for design, making things that are professionally branded. Those are three of my favorites that I use all day, every day. Um, fourth, if you want a fourth, will be uh, G Suite. Things like Google Sheets and all the G Suite that you use just to make things shareable, easy to use, et cetera. Google Calendar and all that G Suite platform. It's just uh, there's not much, you can't really go wrong if you've got all that in your, uh, in your system. No, I, I use all those. Every, I use all four of those, I should say. And if you're not aware, so we've talked about Zero. just give us a one-minute summary of what Zero is for anyone who is totally new to it. Zero, I think their tagline is uh, accounts made beautiful. And it's something along those lines. And it's like, I, I haven't been the accountant. I used, I must have used a hundred different systems. When I use Zero, it's like the most beautiful, easy to use piece of software for basically cloud-based management of your accounts. With Zero, I could click a button and it would give me my P&L it kept my cash, like everything I need in one click, easy, simple to use. And it bases all your financial needs, invoicing suppliers. It's just basically financial management in an online platform that anybody can manage from anywhere in the world. Cool. And yeah, just if you're not aware, what, it, what one of the things that I use it for is that you basically you plug in all of your bank accounts, doesn't matter where they are, and they all yeah. feed into it. So all of your bank feeds come into one place, which then you can give access to your bookkeeper, to your financial assistant, without giving access to any of your accounts or your bank accounts, and they can see all of the information you want them to see um, without having sort of giving, there's no risk involved because they're just yeah. looking at the numbers. So that's a key thing that I think that people that don't use this are really missing out. You end up you end up having to download statements every month and send them over as Excel sheets and all the rest of it. And that is just nonsense in this day and age. So yeah, cool. Okay. Who else do you think would be a great guest for this Systemize Your Success podcast? That's a really good question. Um, who else would be a great guest for this podcast? Have you had anyone on that is really unsystemized? No, I haven't yet, actually. I would love that. I would love to see you bring somebody on. I'm not going to name any names, but somebody on, we all know them, who's like high end systemized, high allergic to any systems. And for you to kind of deep dive into where all their problems are and try and some, suggest some solutions for them. Yeah, no, that's a good idea. Actually, um, I did a clubhouse room yesterday and it sort of it started out like that before the audience came involved. My mate came along, he's got a small business, but he's like pretty unsystemized, totally unoutsourced. And, uh, and I basically started doing sort of like live coaching. And I was thinking, 
Exactly that. No, that's a really good idea. I could do it on the podcast. I almost do a, a live coaching session and sort of talk to the I'd podcast. love to hear that. Rather than yeah, people yeah. speaking to me that are relatively systemized, I want to hear something that's not. And it's just it's hearing their language, hearing the resistance, overcoming the objections, and yeah. giving that guidance. Like, like live one-to-one podcasts, like that would be exceptional. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and that's a great idea. Cheers for that. Um, the title of this podcast, as you may know, is Systemize Your Success. But what does success mean to you? It's another absolutely brilliant question. Success to me, is waking up every day energized and excited. That's it. Do you want to explain that or are you happy with that? That is, no, that's plenty for me. I love it. Short and sweet. Love the answer. Okay, cool. And my very very last question is, do you believe you can systemize your success and why? I believe you can, well, I believe you can absolutely systemize everything. And I believe the only thing that you can't systemize is the things that you should be doing, which is the creative stuff. It's creating new things. It's it's things that only you can do that your machine can't do. I believe everything's going to be systemized. I believe it's successful. You are successful when you're only working on those creative things only your mind can create. So I believe 100% you can systemize everything. And by definition of success, for me, that would be working without having to do any of the robotic stuff week on week, day on day. And so that'd be all the creative stuff. So that'd be success to me. So yeah, 100% you can systemize anything. You can systemize your success. Cool. Absolutely been a pleasure speaking to you, Josh. Um, before we do go, how can people contact you if they want to find out more about what you do or just get in touch? Best way to contact me is just follow me on Facebook. It's Josh Keegan, J-O-S-H Keegan. Um, and if you want to listen to my podcast, it's the Profit Power Hour. Um, you can find it on Spotify or Apple. It's a, a brilliant podcast. I do highly recommend it. And we'll put the links to both those resources in the show notes. Cool. Thank you very much indeed, Josh. Been a pleasure. Very, very good, Steve. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks very much for listening to this episode. Before you go, I want to share one last thing with you. I've put together a special collection of resources to accompany the series on recruitment. In there, you'll find templates, you'll find guides, you'll find visual walkthroughs of everything I'm talking about in these episodes. To get the guide, simply go to bit.ly forward slash sys hyphen 10. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash S-Y-S hyphen one zero. And it's all in lowercase. You'll also find a link in the show notes. This guide will make implementing what we're talking about here far, far easier. So go to bit.ly forward slash sys hyphen tan and get your free copy. Thank you so much for joining me and listening to this episode. I'm well aware there are hundreds of great business podcasts out there and you chose to listen to this one. And for that, I am truly grateful. Hopefully what you heard today took you one step closer to building a successful business so you can share your passion with the world and serve an ever-growing number of people. If you got value out of today's episode, then so will someone else you know. By sharing with others what has helped you along your way, you will grow your influence and be the guy or girl that everybody wants to know. So please hit the share button right now and also remember to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss future episodes. It's impossible for me to cover absolutely everything in these podcasts. So please do head over to systemizeyoursuccess.com right now and download the show notes, transcriptions and some of my best frameworks and systems for free. Thanks again for tuning in and being a part of this amazing community. Until next time, this is Dr. Steve Day and you've been listening to Systemize Your Success. Your Success.